Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. All right. I see some faces out there like, what's this dude going to say? Well, I'm here to let you know, if you came this morning and your peoples that you normally sit next to didn't come, they're missing out because this is not going to be a chapel like a typical chapel. I don't know how to be typical. I only know how to be myself. Just so you can, I can get this out the way, my ruthless self-promotion, Pastor J on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, all them, P-A-S-T-A-H-J. So think of it as like pasta, H-J, all right, Pastor J. Now, the reason why I do that is because the church I pastor is in the exact same neighborhood in the city of Chicago that I grew up in. Now, uh, a movie was just released. Spike Lee did a movie named Chirac. There's been tons of songs called Chirac. There's all this buzz around that word. It's just to give you a little bit of, of background, the very neighborhood that the term is used for is the one where I live and was born and raised. Inglewood, south side of the shy. And I can't stand that word. I can't stand it because it's not a term that was framed by the people in my neighborhood. It was a term that was framed by people from outside my neighborhood who don't even know me or none of my friends. So what I want to do is I want to drop a piece on you first that I wrote after a horrible incident happened in the, right behind my house. One of the young men I've been working with at my church, I've known him for years. Actually, unfortunately, it's not something normal. It was a true jarring moment. Got shot and killed in the alley behind my house. And at that point, I was so frustrated. I had gotten to the point where I started telling God, you know what? I don't care what you think the call is on my life, man. I'm about to get my kids, and I'm about to get out of here. This is crazy. And so I went back in my house, and I sat in my basement, and I wrote this little rhyme, and it went like this. Well, first of all, let me get background. How many of you ever seen the movie The Matrix? Okay, that's one of my favorite movies. It's kind of old now. But it's one of my favorite movies. I love it because um, it just has all these parallels to, to where I live. And there's a scene in the movie where Neo is talking to Morpheus, and Morpheus says, Neo. He says, yes, Morpheus. He says, yes, you don't have to worry about bullets anymore. You can dodge. He says, are you saying that I can dodge bullets? Then Morpheus, you know, only, only in Lawrence Fishburne voice, he says, Neo, when you understand who you truly are, you won't even have to dodge them anymore. And then Neo, you know, it's the scene, first he's like this, and the bullets are missing, and then he just goes, and they all like drop to the floor, right? So this is the scene I want you to get in your head when I say these words. And then we're going to get into the Word of God. Uh, I'm going to be paraphrasing a little while. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But the, 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 the song is called Dodge Bullets. Keep that in your mind. It says this. Bullets can fly. Pull it and try. But you'll be surprised the look in my eyes should prove I don't lie. See, with God on my side, I no longer die. I'm stronger because I'll ascend to the sky to live with my God. So why? Should I be afraid of where I reside? See, bullets fly everywhere, just like they fly in the shy. <laughs> so why have so many made the birds their home? Don't get me wrong, that's cool if it's where you belong. <laughs> but living out there don't make life sweet. Bodies found in the woods instead of lying in the streets. No disrespect. I don't mean to sound morbid. But I hate when folks believe they found gold when they move to a place where it's quiet at night. Man, quiet don't mean safe, plus what makes comfortable right? 
We used to live in catacombs in fear of the lions. Now we live in lavish homes in fear of the violence. I understand wanting to keep your family safe, but are you really stopping much with those community gates? I wish I could throw my hands up and bullets drop to the floor, but now I throw my hands up because I ain't scared no more. Since I see the world for who it is and understand the gospel, although I could dodge bullets, I no longer have to. That is where I want this conversation to begin today. It begins in the space that there are people and there are places that are defined by people who've never been there. There are people who get a stigma or or are called or thought of in one way before you even meet them. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then there has to be a battle against that type of behavior. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to go through Samaria. Now, I use Samaria for one simple reason. In the Bible, the Jews did not like the Samaritans, right? Common knowledge. The Samaritans were like these half-breeds. You think of uh, the old vampire movies. They were daywalkers, mixed human and vampire. You don't mess with them. We don't, they're not real all the way. And so they didn't really deal with the Samaritans too well because they, they, they were half breeds, they weren't pure. And so what they would do is anytime they would have to go through Samaria or go from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, they would go around and then finally get to Samaria. Samaritans had all these stigmas about them. There were things that they didn't like about them. They, was, they, they were not the people that they, that, they, that they hung with. They were not their crowd. They were, they, you know, you know, I hang with the football players. They ain't the football players, so they ain't cool. I, 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 I'm in, in the business school, you know. You know, I'm one of the Brock stars. If you're not a Brock star, I don't roll with you. But here, we have a new perspective. Jesus comes in all the time and tries to smash all of our preconceived notions and stigmas that we have about people and places. So I'm going to be coming from John chapter 4. Now, this is a long story about Jesus having an interaction with a woman that he meets at a well. Anytime I try to preach from a long passage of Scripture, I know that you, you know, this is Samford, and you have great, wonderful speakers come who want to give you line-by-line exposition and go verse-by-verse and give you the Greek and all that good stuff. I don't have time for all that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to paraphrase, but we're going to go through the passage, but I'm going to use my own translation. It's called the SSV. Okay? It's the straight street version. This is my opportunity to tell this story in the way I think it would be told in Inglewood on the south side of Chicago. Walk with me. Track with me. If you don't believe me, the Bible's there. That's why God gives you the ability to read. You can see if I'm telling the truth. But here's the story. Starts at verse 1. It says, Jesus learns that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the leaders have been like spying on him, peeping him out. What's this Jesus dude about? He out there baptizing even more people than that dude, John. And you know we can't stand John out there eating honey and bugs. What's wrong with dude? But this guy, Jesus, even worse than him. He's baptizing people, and John is saying, no, 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 no. Don't let me baptize you. Follow him. This guy is dangerous. So we got to figure out a way to squash him. we got to figure out a way to stop his nonsense before all of the Jews actually start following this crazy guy. Jesus is like, 
Look, man, we got to get out of here. Let's just run down to Judea real quick to the wilderness um, because, you know, these bougie dudes not going to the desert. So we're going to go down to the desert, hang out for a little while, regroup, and then maybe we'll get back up to Galilee in a little while. So he takes his disciples and he goes down to Judea and they're hanging out in the desert sun. It gets hot. You know, they've been there for a while. And Jesus goes, you know what, man, I had enough of this, man. Let's go back to Galilee where there's some water. And he's like, man, we've been down here for a while. We need to get back up to Galilee around the sea. I know you guys are comfortable fishermen and stuff, but I'm not trying to make that extra day or two journey around Samaria. Let's just go through Samaria. Now, remember what I told you about how the disciples feel about Samaria. I understand this because I live in Chirac. Those two words are synonymous. You might as well take Samaria out and put Chirac there and have the same conversation. Hey, I'm on the north side of Chicago. I need to get, you know, to the suburbs. Let's just take the expressway and go around. I don't want to drive through Chirac. Jesus says, look, I'm tired. I I just want to get back. Let's just go through Samaria. And then they're looking. I can imagine the conversation. Dude, you want to go through Samaria, you can go on your own. We're going to go around. We'll meet you when you get there. Jesus goes, no. I'm Jesus. We're going through Samaria. Peter's like, all right, man. Who got the swords? Man, we got to go through Samaria. This, this dude, Jesus. So they go through, and Jesus, I think, has a specific purpose for why he wants to go through Samaria. Now, lots of different people have different reasons for why they think. Some people have all of this, oh, he wanted to show them that the Samaritans were welcomed to hear the gospel as well. Don't disagree, right? Oh, Jesus wanted to go and show them that you have to rebel against all the society's standards. Okay, I I won't fight you too hard on that one. But as somebody from Chirac, and and since I'm telling it from my SSV version, we're going to go to Samaria for the reason I think Jesus went to Samaria. Jesus goes to Samaria for this one reason. To help his disciples realize that you can't say you represent me and there's people right around you you don't talk to. You can't be my disciples when the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor and your neighbor, you actually walk around. You can't say that you're my child and there's people on your campus that you are afraid to associate with. You can't say that, that you're my child and representing me and there are people who can't sit at your table. There are people who you never spend time with. There are people you have no interest in understanding. Jesus goes to Samaria to remove a prescribed stigma on a group of people that they didn't even earn. So he takes them there. I love Jesus. Jesus gets to this well. He tells us, Peter, hey, man, go to the store and get me some bread. I'm hungry. Take these guys with you. Y'all got on my nerves all the way up here. Jesus sits down by Jacob's well. Hot. He gets to Jacob's well at 12 o'clock. It says at noon. Let me break it down for you. Y'all from Alabama. At 12 o'clock in the summer, the last place you want to be is sitting in the hot sun. So Jesus gets there at noon, and there comes a lady at noon with her basket. Now, 
They walk miles with these heavy baskets of water. I'm not a genius. I can turn on my faucet and get water. I've never had to go to a well and draw my own water. I don't get it. But even though I've never done it, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't choose 12 o'clock. My thought is, this lady didn't want anybody to see her. She thought the well was going to be empty. I'm going to go when nobody else is there because I don't want anybody asking me questions. But Jesus happens to be there. What I love about this interaction is Jesus looks at her, tired, hot, sweaty, feet probably stinking. You know, he's been walking a long time, sitting by the side. I'm just trying to give you a really personal view of who Jesus is here. Because sometimes I think we think Jesus floated everywhere. And, oh, can you give me water? No, he was tired, hot, sweaty, feet was hurting, probably had bunions and calluses because they had good shoes. And he's sitting on the side of the well and he looks at her and he says, hey, you about to get some water? She just kind of looks at him like, she's like, look, I don't have a bucket. I don't have anything. I don't even know how to use this well. Can you give me some water? Her response, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Now, I thought about that, and I said, wow. The response was not, oh, are you thirsty? Let me see if I can help you. The response is, is that no, 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 no. There's a label that's been put on me and the place that I live. I so many times have heard this label. I have, I have been told that I can't talk to Jews. I have lived into the fact that Jews don't have anything to do with me, that at this very moment, when I have the opportunity to be in relationship with someone who I've never had the chance to be in relationship with before, I can't get past the label. I can't get past the stigma in order to relate to you. No, 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 no. This is not how it's supposed to be. Many people in my neighborhood act the same way. Let me give you an example. My <laughs> my, um, my wife and I moved into our neighborhood, back into our neighborhood after we got married, and it wasn't really by choice, okay? It was because um, I was smart enough to really know how to manipulate her into kind of going with me. So I'm going to show you what I mean. So I, I, I became pastor of the church, and I told my wife, hey, um, I think that if I'm going to pastor a church here in the neighborhood, that we should live here. And she was like, that's good to know. You must be moving by yourself. And I was like, well, I would really like for my family to come with me, if that'd be okay. She was like, it's not. Okay, I said, well, I tell you what, we're living in a small apartment over here in this, this, this other neighborhood in Chicago. You know, we've come up, we've moved down, and, we, you know, we're, we're doing better, the upward mobile black family. And, uh, but what if I could find you a house? You know, a house is a little cheaper over, where, over in Inglewood, and, you know, we might be able to get a house. And she was like, oh, that might work. So we go, find her a house owned by an older couple, been living there for decades, raised their kids there. It's decked out, got flowers and a lamp post in the yard and a beautiful bay window. And, and you know, they got uh, perennial flowers that come up every year. And it was just laid out. And I took her through it and I was like, you too can have all of this if you'll just come with me to Inglewood. And she was like, okay, okay, we can move in. I was like, all right, all right, making progress. And so we moved in. But there had to be some rules because we were moving into Chirac. We were moving into Samaria, right? We were moving into those rules because of the stigma that's there, right? You know, so the first thing is we moved in in the middle of the night. Like, we wrapped our TVs and blankets, 
Don't want nobody to see, see your flat screen, right? We, we made a, a pack that night. Okay, you do not use the front door. We will only enter through the back because we got a privacy fence back there with a the garage and locks on the fences. And so we park in the garage and we come in and out the back door. So we locked our front door never to be opened again. My wife said, ooh, I've got a nice idea. She bought a lamp and she put a timer on it and we put it in the front bay window so it could pop on and off and people never know when you're home and when you're not. We were ready. We were good. We had moved in, and we were good, and now I was doing the good pastor thing. I lived in the neighborhood, right, in Samaria. I had going through Samaria because that's what I should do. So we did it. We lived there for about six months, man, just happy-go-lucky family, right, grabbing my kids by the hands, walking through the backyard. Da-da-da, come on, let's go in the house, babe. And we play inside. And let's go outside to the backyard. And we play baseball, all those things in the backyard. And then we come back home the next day, come through the garage, through the backyard. Just a good little family. Everything was great. Never use the front door, never talk to any of our neighbors, just we got a house, going to be a good family. One night, coming home from Bible study, you know, it's a normal day. Come in, pull it in, come on, baby, just go, go to the back door. As soon as I reach for the back door, bah, bah, bah. I'm like, oh, my God. I grab my kids and I jump on top of them, and I'm like, no, get down, babe. I get us in the house, and I'm reaching up, trying to open the door. I get inside, close the door. I'm like, everybody stay here. I look out the front because you can see straight through the house. And I can see all the lights and, oh, my God, police are here, ambulance here. This is right in front of my house. So I tell my wife, you stay here. I'm going to go check this out. I go to the front. I had to peer over the lamp out the bay window. And I can see that the shooting happened right next door to, at the house, next door to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. God, this is not what I signed up for. Now, I know you said this is important, but not, not for my family to get shot up. So I'm like, I'm like, baby, this is next door. She's like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, I know. And so I said, I need to find out what's going on. She's like, are you going outside? Yes, I'm going. Pray for me. Unlatch all the locks off the front door. The front, go on the porch. And so here we go. Got a scenario. Got the house that got shot up next door, and I got my other neighbor on this side. Now, the other neighbor on this side is actually standing outside of her fence. Notice something I never really paid attention before. When I looked at her house, her house looked just like mine. Same flowers, same lampposts, same bay windows, same everything. And I'm just like, she was friends with she was friends with them. You know how older people do it, right? They got the exact same, you know, this is your best friend. They put up the same Christmas decorations. They put up the same lamps. Right? You know, anyway. So I go and I said, well, I'm gonna go ask her first. So I went outside and I went over to the fence and I was like, um, excuse me. Uh, and she turned around, she's like, oh, hey, pastor, how are you? Now, the first thing in my head was, how does they know I'm a pastor? I have never spoken to her one time in my life. But, you know, anybody can find out you're a pastor, go on the Internet or something like that. It wasn't a big deal. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. I was like, ooh, what happened? She's like, baby, I do not know. Older lady, so that's my old lady voice. Baby, I do not know. I just, this is crazy. Things like this don't happen on our block. And I'm like, I, I didn't think so. I'm like, do you, really, do you know what happened? She's like, I really don't. She's like, oh, but oh my God. She's like, it's about seven, six, you, you're just getting home. How are the babies? How does lady know I was just getting home? I'm like, my kids are good. She's like, okay, yeah. Ooh, those little girls, I tell you, Jasmine and Jade are beautiful little girls. Thank you. And then she goes, and Michelle, is she all right? Lady? Yes. 
They're fine. She's like, ooh, whew, yeah, it's a Wednesday, so you guys are just coming from Bible study. Yeah, because you're still teaching school, right? Because most days you come and get your kids at home by about 4.30, but I'm glad today you're home. I'm glad it was later. You guys might have been here a little bit earlier. I'm like, this lady on my whole schedule. Left it alone. It wasn't the time. I was just like, okay. So you don't know what happened. She's like, I don't. She's like, a matter of fact, why don't you just go over and ask what happened? I said, you want me to go ask them? She said, yeah, go ask. So I've been set the picture. This house looks just like mine, same flowers, same lamppost, same bay windows. This house, not so much. Porch is leaning a little bit. No grass, it's all dirt. About 40 people on the porch playing dominoes and cards all the time. So I look and I go, I, you want me to ask them? She's like, yeah, they're good people, go ask, baby, it's fine. So I go over and I go, excuse me, fellas, uh, just wanted to check, make sure everybody was all right. And they turn around and it's like, oh, hey, pastor, man, everything is good. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. These guys know me too, right? I'm like, okay, what happened? They're like, man, it's crazy. We were just up here playing cards. You know, we always playing cards or dominoes or something, but guys came across the vacant gangway across and just start shooting at the house. We don't do anything to anybody. We haven't bothered. I'm like, does this thing happen all the time? They're like, no, nobody messes with our block, Pastor Jay. They're like, you've been over here for about six months. You know nobody. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then I was like, well, what, what, what do you think? They're like, we don't know. We're going to try to figure it out. But we'll reassure you that nothing ever happens over here. We take care of this block. We've been living here our whole lives. Nothing goes down. It's like, okay. Well, what do you mean you take care of the block? I'm like, oh, man, we take care. I mean, we make sure the kids are safe. We make sure everything happens. I'm like, oh, really? Like, I didn't know that. They're like, yeah, man, we always take care. They're like, man, tell them about the car. Yeah, tell me about the car. Like, you sure, Pastor Jay? Yeah, what? I want to know. He was like, okay, man, look, let me tell you. It was this guy who used to fly up and down our block, going 50, 60, 70 miles an hour down a residential street, trying to show off his car. So we'd be up here playing dominoes, and we always stand up, hey, you better slow down. So he in a car, and we on the porch, he's not going to stop. So now he started doing it on purpose. So I was like, oh, man, what you guys do? That's terrible. They're like, I know we kept telling them his kids out here playing, you need to slow down. He said, but we caught him. Oh, what's that mean? Oh, no, we just took care of it. What do you mean? I was like, no, no, no. We caught him at the stop sign right here. One guy walked out and was like, look, man, we've been telling you to slow down for months. You better slow down coming down the street. Of course, since it was one person, the guy got tough and got out the car. And Man, if you don't get out the way, I'll run you over. You think you are blah, blah, blah. As soon as he started doing that, about 40 guys come running out of bushes and vacant lots. And I, he's like, oh, trying to get in his car. I said, what y'all do? I'm getting excited. What you do? And it's like, we started rocking his car back and forth so he couldn't drive off. I was like, oh. I was like, then what? They said, we flipped it over. <laughs> I said, yo, that's not how I would have handled that situation. But real talk, I have never felt more safe in my life. Michelle, bring the babies outside and meet our new neighbors. They are good people. Miss Jasmine, meet our neighbors. You play in the front. Don't you play in the back no more. Well, these fine gentlemen can watch everything you do. Because I'm going to cancel the ADT security system because there's no safer place to be than right here. But you know what I learned right there? That I was just like the woman at the well. That I didn't understand uh, 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 what, what it meant to be in relationship with people different. I believed the stigma. I believed the nonsense. I believed the lies that were told about people I had never met. No, that's not how I would have fixed that situation. I would have had a block club meeting, right? And we would have petitioned for street speed bumps in the street or something. It would have took months. They fixed it in one day. And I learned quickly that I 
learned who I was. I learned my insufficiencies. I learned my deficits. I learned the gifts that I bring. I learned all of that in true community. And when I don't allow true community to happen in the diversity that's there, then I don't know who God is and I don't know who I am. You find yourself in community, not in isolation. I found out that diversity was a kingdom value. And that even if our skin color was the same, there was so much diversity between our thought and the way we would handle things that I learned something that day. I learned that if I cared about my neighborhood the way they cared about my neighborhood, it would be a better place. Instead of isolating myself and trying to protect myself from what I thought was the evil of the people around me, I actually got a relationship with them and learned the gifts that they bring. Are you walking around in isolation? Are you, are you scared of those people you consider Samaritans, those people who are different than you? Do you? Are you scared to go across the line and try to say something to someone you've never said to before? Are you scared to go to that place where other people go that you've never been before? Are you afraid? Well, I want to free you today because you have to, you actually, like Jesus, you must go through Samaria. You must. If you really want to know who God is, you must really know who we are. You do remember that when God created us, it doesn't say that he just, you know, I love the way God works. It doesn't say that God was like, oh, I want to make man. Good luck. It says that he digs in the dirt and forms us in his likeness and his image. If all of us have various images and likenesses, then all of us reflect the glory of God. And if you do not spend time learning about the likeness and images around you, you cannot fully know God. We are his reflection. We are the people who explain who God is. The differences we bring, the cultural Racial, economic, even religious differences, all the differences we bring. We don't have to agree all the time, but we have to love all the time. So I learned that I was missing out on relationship because I was believing the stigma put on my own neighborhood, a neighborhood I grew up in. Are there stigmas on people here? Is there certain groups of people that as soon as you see them, you think this? Are there people here who, because that's what everybody's told them, actually live into those labels? Become the very thing that they don't want to become because people keep saying that's who they are? How are we fighting against it? Here's my thesis on how we fight against it. See, what Jesus does when he meets the woman at the well is he simply says to her, no, 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 no. This is not about the label that's been put on you. If you knew who I was, if you knew who was talking to you, if you knew who was asking you for water, 
you'd be asking me for what I got to bring. If you knew who I was, if you really knew who Jesus was, you would be seeking out relationships. I don't think there's any difference for you. If we're really reflecting Jesus, if we're really living up to the label of a Christ one, one who belongs to Christ, a Christian, then when we seek relationship with those who are different, then what happens is, is that they also should be looking for us to bring something to the relationship. When I think about what's necessary for us, I think about the fact that Jesus says in Acts 1-8 to his disciples, after the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. I like this verse, right? He says, after the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Full disclosure, I have two superheroes I love. First one is Batman. I love Batman, first of all, because he's just human, right? To me, superheroes with superpowers are cheating. Batman's human, and he really has three things going for him. First of all, he's rich. Second of all, he has all these cool gadgets and cars and bikes and armor and all this other stuff. Third thing is, he has Alfred, who really does all the work. Second person I really love is Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man because if Spider-Man had a choice, he wouldn't be a superhero at all. It was a freak accident that gave him powers to, like, shoot webs and swing around. And he never wanted to do anything with it. His own uncle dies because he won't stand up to a thief. And it's his uncle who told him this very famous quote. With great power comes great responsibility. I look at that and I go, man, I thought, I thought the writers of Spider-Man were like, original. All I did was rewrite Acts 1-8. After the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And with that power, you will be my witnesses. That's your responsibility. So I think about it and I go, oh my. He says you will be my witnesses, but he doesn't stop there. I think many of us want to be witnesses, but we want to choose where we're going to witness and with whom. Give me the power. Let me be a witness, but then let me choose who I get to witness to and where I go. But Jesus clears that up right away. The very next thing he says is, you'll be my witnesses, first of all, in Jerusalem, which actually has gotten cleared up for me. I used to think Jerusalem was, was like he's saying, oh, you'll be my witnesses at home. But I'm really realizing that most of the disciples were from Judea. Jerusalem was actually the place of power, the government, right, the religious leaders. He says, you'll be my witnesses to the people who think they know what to do. For those of us who think that Christians have no business dealing with politics and protesting and all those good things, the first thing Jesus says is you'll be my witness to the politicians. Then he says in Judea, and they go, oh man, I got to go back home. 
going to be a witness at home? You mean I, I, the behavior that, that they, the, the standards they hold me to at Samford, I'm supposed to do that at home too? And then he goes, and in Samaria. Yes. And the uttermost parts of the world. What I want you to notice about this sentence is he says, you will be my witnesses, not you might be my witnesses, or if you feel like it, you could be my witnesses in these places. This is a progression. I will have witnesses everywhere. I will have witnesses to the government. I will have witnesses to home. I will have witnesses to places you never wanted to go, and I will have witnesses that travel all over the world. My question, though, is... If you've never gone through Samaria, will you ever understand the ends of the earth? If you've never tried Samaria, you'll never really understand the people around you. The Samaria call is the precursor to the ends of the earth. The Samaria call is mandatory for everybody. Until we can have genuine relationships with people who are right around us that are different, how are we going to spend time in heaven together? Come on, y'all, this is a dress rehearsal. Every day that you wake up is a dress rehearsal for what eternity is supposed to be. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's going to be like a black section, an Asian section, a Hispanic section, a white section, a German section, a Dutch section. I want to group all the white people together. Sorry. But watch this. Revelation verses seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 9 simply says that when we, there was a, a line of people singing praises to God from every culture, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. So although there won't be different sections, there will be some Spanish spoken there. There will be diversity. There will be people who didn't grow up like you. There will be people who like different food than you who wear different clothes than you, who might have different values from you. And if we can't get along now, what makes us think it's going to click when we get to eternity? This is the dress rehearsal. So here's my advice. This is what happens when you spend some time in Samaria. So what I want you to do is I want you in your mind, before we get out of here, we got about five more minutes, to get in your mind the most beautiful place in the world. If God, if you, if God asked you right now, where would you like to spend your life? And you got to pick the place. What place would you pick? That's the place that I want you to picture in your head. What I call that place for you is your glory of God place. So what you do when you think of places and people from that place is you put on the glory of God glasses. My wife's glory of God place is Hawaii, right? She loves Hawaii. She's like, oh, if we just live there. And then we started watching, what's the, the show where the guy uh, is a bounty hunter? Um, dog, dog, is his name Dog the Bounty Hunter, whatever. And he was in Hawaii. She was like, there's criminals in Hawaii, though. No. I was like, yeah. But your glory of God place, what you do is, when you think of that place, or if you ever get to visit there, you're going to put on a certain pair of glasses. Now, I'm a glasses wearer. This analogy works for me. You put on your glory of God glasses, and you say, oh, this place is so beautiful. It's so glorious. It's so wonderful here. The people here are good. This is exactly how God wanted it to be. Oh, God, thank you for this beautiful place. It's so glorious here. Mine was the suburbs growing up because that's what 
everybody said was better than the inner city. So it was like, oh, the manicured lawns and the white picket fences and the two-car garages, and they got two and a half kids and a dog. <sighs> God, this is beautiful. Wait, wait, shh, listen. It's quiet there. <sighs> the glory of God. But then, when we go on like, you know, some of us have been on short-term missions trips with our schools or churches, and some of us have grew up in places that other people have said that they would never live in. And so when we go to places like that, you know, the place that I call the brokenness of humanity place, we put on our brokenness glasses and we come and we go, oh my goodness. Oh God, look at the trash on the ground. Oh, the schools here are failing, God. Oh, these people just need you, Jesus. Help us pass out tracts and tell them about the gospel. Oh, God, help us to come and paint kids' faces outside. Oh, Jesus, let us go around and do neighborhood cleanups because these people can't possibly pick up their own trash yet. Oh, God, it's so broken here. Father, just help them, Lord. Oh, God, Jesus. In my last minute, here's my advice to you. Take both sets of glasses, smash them up, and pull a Benjamin Franklin. Put them together and make a pair of bifocals. Because the only way we're ever going to integrate, the only way we're ever going to be the kingdom is if we see people the way God sees them, if we see places the way God sees them. And every person and every place you go to both reflects the glory of God and the brokenness of humanity. I don't know you guys very well. I'm looking at you and you look very glorious. Good students getting good grades. But if I spent any amount of time with you, any extended amount of time, your brokenness would ooze out. The people around you both reflect the glory of God and the brokenness of humanity. But what I ask of you is to learn to look for both so that you might have genuine relationship with every person in every place. Those are lessons from someone who's been through Samaria. Let me pray for you and dismiss you. Lord, thank you so much for these wonderful students. I pray that the rest of the day they will walk with their bifocals on, that every person they see in every place they go, they will look for your glory, but also pray for the brokenness there that we might reflect you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you so much for your time. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.